It pleases God when aware of him, you patiently endure unjust suffering. The word of the Lord, 1 Peter 2, verse 19. And as you turn there in your Bibles, or if you have your app, you can probably download a free Bible app for your phone. 1 Peter 2, verse 19 is a sobering kind of a question. Is it possible that behind everything that is going on in your life right now, is it possible behind all the struggles and all the trials and all the the mountains that you can't move and all the storms that keep rolling in, is it possible that behind all of that, there remains a sovereign God who is completely in control? have a good friend, and one day many years ago, he came home from work to find his house absolutely empty, cleaned out. While he had gone to work that day, his wife had invited all of her friends, all of her family, sorry, uh, down, and they had emptied the entire house, like completely gutted it. She was gone. The kids were gone. She literally took the toilet paper off the rolls, and the cutlery out of the drawers. He was all alone. That was bad enough. But then his wife set out on a campaign, essentially, to destroy him. Sometimes Christian divorces can be the most acrimonious because each person is trying to prove that the other person was so terrible that I'm such a good person, but I just couldn't live with them. And so she phoned his work and She told him all sorts of lies about him. Got him fired. She talked to all of their friends about what a monster he was. None of them had seen any indication of this for the last 10 years because there was none. He was, it wasn't true. Everyone knew that she had had serious psychological problems and that her accusations were false, and yet he still lost his job. And... Many of their friends just didn't want to be caught in the middle of the mess. And so they just bailed. Like, they just stopped phoning. They just stopped. And she got a really good lawyer. <laughs> he was cutthroat. Uh, no fault to him. And my, my friend's lawyer was pretty much incompetent. And my friend really didn't want to fight. He just, he didn't want to fight. And so... The settlement was incredibly unfair. He is still paying her 66% of his salary 25 years later, even though the kids are all grown and on their own, and even though she is a registered nurse and has a full-time job. It's just bizarre. At one point, my friend gets a phone call from her family doctor. The doctor wanted to let him know that she was pressuring the doctor to claim that the children had been sexually abused. And the doctor wasn't going to have any part of that lie. Wasn't going to be a part of that. So she said, I'll go go find another doctor. And the doctor phoned the courts and let them know that this was happening. I watched a man that I love being absolutely decimated. Losing everything. Everything 
except his faith. And I, I don't get it. I can't explain it to you, but in the midst of some of the worst moments of his life, I watched his faith in Jesus just carry him through. Like Job, he just voraciously clung to the thought that the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And at one point in one of our phone conversations, he said something like this to me. He said, Nick, I am absolutely sure that I am exactly where God wants me to be right now. As strange as it sounds, God has placed me in this moment, in this situation. It is not primarily her. It is not primarily Satan. It is not primarily spiritual attack. It is not primarily a broken, fallen world. It's God. And because of that, even though I don't understand him, even though it's ripping out my heart, I trust him. My friend is remarried now, and beautiful girl. She loves the Lord, and she absolutely adores him. And as his children became adults, they began to start to see through the lies that they got through one parent, and he's now created a relationship. He lost them as children, but he's gaining them back as adults, as they're seeing through the lies that they've been fed for so many years. I think he has a relationship with all of his kids now except one, and we're still praying for her to come around. He is a little bit bitter and jaded, about the church. You know what Pastor Darren said earlier about loving one another? (sighs) We don't do so good at that a lot of the times. Christians can really be such hypocrites. But my friend has a few people in his life who really love Jesus, and he reads his Bible, and he prays every day. He certainly is in love with Christ, and he's just now thinking that maybe, maybe he needs to give church another chance. He went to church once, and then they shut down for COVID, so I'm praying for him. But there's one truth that he said that just hit me so hard, and I want to share it with you again. My friend repeatedly said this. I have no doubt that I am exactly where God wants me to be. None of us would want my friend's life, his heartache, but I hope that all of us would want his faith. I am here right now by God's design. It is good for me to be right here, right now. God has placed me here for a reason and a purpose so that I can grow in him. Now, can you say that this morning? Thinking about what's going on in your life, in your current situation, I am here right now by God's design. It is good for me to be right here, right now. God has put me here. God has. So that I can grow in him. It pleases God. When aware of him, you patiently endure unjust suffering. Let me just take a moment. Last week, I think Scott had to summarize a biblical theology of submission to a government in a half-hour sermon, and this morning I have to summarize theology of suffering in a half-hour sermon. So he did well. I'm not going to do so well. But here's three reasons why there is suffering in our lives, three of the main reasons. Number one, sometimes we suffer for no apparent reason. Like sometimes life just dumps on you 
right? And, and, and you don't know why it's happening. You can't connect it to anything you've done or anything that you haven't done. It's come out of the blue. It makes no sense to us. And we live in a broken world that is full of sin all around us. And so sometimes it feels like there's a randomness to our suffering, to our difficulties, at least from our perspective. I mean, I don't know what God sees all the time, but from my perspective, sometimes it just feels so random. Why me, Lord? What have I ever done? Why is this happening to me? Why are things working out this way? Why do bad things happen to good people? Which is really just our way of saying, why do bad things happen to me? Because I'm a good person. Sometimes we suffer for no discernible reason. Job is never actually told why he lost everything. Number two, sometimes we suffer because of mistakes that we've made. I mean, you and I are human. We, we make mistakes. Can we admit that? Is that a safe place for us to kind of say, I mess up sometimes. I need your forgiveness. You need other people's forgiveness. My wife, Elaine, just got a, a, an email the other day, or not an email, sorry, but a, a letter in the post. And uh, it, it was one of those wonderful letters that you all love getting in the post where it says, oh, congratulations. We have, you, you know that ridiculous speed trap that they have in Moose Jaw? You know the one that I'm talking about, right? It's on the number one highway. You're tootling along, going the speed limit, and then for no apparent reason, they drop it down to 80, and then they have a photograph just to make sure that you're going to obey and comply. Elaine, Elaine wasn't paying attention one time when she was driving, and, and she gets this letter in the mail. <laughs> she did the crime. She's got to do the time, right? And I, I get to bug her about it. So, ha-ha, Elaine. Now, you've probably all had thoughts about just like <laughs> turning slightly and running that crazy photo thing over while you've been going through Moose Jaw. But, but sometimes that's just the reason that, that happens to all of us, right? We, we mess up and we face the consequences of our own, our own crime, right? We, we face suffering because of things we've done. But there is a third reason that I want to talk about this morning. There's a third truth to suffering it's not always as comfortable, and it's this. Sometimes we suffer unjustly at the hands of another person. Sometimes there is another person, another group of people, another organization, another agent who is behind our suffering. We've played by the rules. We've been conscientious. We've tried our best to get along with everyone, just like they taught us in kindergarten, but it hasn't worked for us. You did your homework. You got that assignment done early, like a week early. You never have that happen, right? So you can play video games to your heart's content. And then two days before the assignment is due, the teacher changes the entire assignment. And everything that you did, you have to redo. Because the teacher knows 90% of the class is going to procrastinate till the night before anyways. And all of a sudden, it's not fair. It's unjust. You work hard at work. You're, you're a good employee on time all the time. You're an asset to the company. But then there's an, a promotion that happens at work, and, and it goes to somebody else. Somebody that, that you know is a little bit of a slacker. Like you got overlooked. Somebody that, that takes the boss out for drinks at the bar, and you don't do that. It's not fair. You've raised your kids well. 
You've tried to set a good example for them, dragging them to church on a Sunday even when there's only 30 of us here. You've tried to set that good example, point them towards Jesus, and then, and then one of your kids starts walking away from the faith. It just kills you inside. I don't, I don't care if my kids become garbage men or if they become world leaders. It doesn't matter as long as they love Jesus, Right? Do they not realize how much they're hurting you, their mom, their dad, by their actions? You're suffering because of, because of their decisions. It's just not fair. It's just not right. And look at you all wearing that mask so conscientiously, making sure you're out of the pastor's splash zone. You do that for, for the sake of other people, for their sense of safety. You're limiting the number of people that you're having in your home. Your church has followed all the rules, even the ones that don't make any sense, and most of them don't make sense. But now, just because of a group of people partying in, what, Maple Creek? I don't know. Now the rules have all been tightened for all of us. We're back to 30 people on a Sunday. It's not fair. It's not just. If one of my kids breaks curfew, I don't ground all of my kids. I just, I just deal with the one who's broken the rule. There's people that speed on the highway, like Elaine. We don't drop the speed limit to 60 because one or two people are driving too fast. We just enforce the rules. It doesn't, doesn't feel fair. If you're a teacher and, and you punish a whole class because of one thing that one student has done, that's how you discipline, don't do that. Because you might think that you're getting peer pressure to work against that student, but that's not how it works. Every other student is looking at you, the teacher, and saying, that's not fair. It actually creates and breeds resentment and rebellion. Sometimes... We suffer unjustly at the hands of other people. And, and you've got your own story, don't you? Like even as I've been talking here, <laughs> the Holy Spirit's been bringing a face to your memory, a person, a situation that you, you just wanted to sweep under the rug and you just want that to be behind you. You don't want to have to deal with it. It should be long gone and over and done with and it's not. Your face, that face is coming to mind. That situation where another person has hurt you, where someone has made your life miserable, has caused you pain and maybe it, it hurts to even think about it. Maybe it's an ongoing situation for you. Maybe it's a deep hurt from long, long ago that you've just, you just don't know how to process. You don't know how to get over it. It's affecting you even to this day. Or maybe it's something that's happening right now. Someone is in the process of hurting you right now. Someone hurts you and, and you don't deserve it and you're suffering unjustly at the hands of another person. And, and, and this verse... It pleases God. When aware of him, you patiently endure unjust suffering. <laughs> Scott preached our sermon last Sunday. We're all still upset with him for faithfully delivering the word of God and we didn't like what God had to say. <laughs> Scott had no idea, but God did, that the regulations were going to change on Tuesday. It was going to get worse. Submit to your leaders. And we're all just a little... What's the word? Irritated. There's a better word, but I can't use it in a sermon, right? We're all just a little irritated. 
with our leaders. Like, can this pandemic just end already? Can our leadership stop making new rules that make no sense and just make everybody miserable? Like, how does our faith in Jesus inform and direct our response when we're suffering? And it feels unfair. It feels unjust. And we're really struggling with anger towards that other person or those other people who've caused you such suffering. Think about that. As a young man, Peter watches his friend, the guy he loves, the guy that he left his fishing for. For those of you that love fishing, like that's, that's the illustration, right? He left his fishing for Jesus. And he watches Jesus, his good friend, get whipped and beaten, spit on and mocked, unjustly condemned to die, crucified. And Peter has a front row seat to all of this. The unjust suffering of Jesus. And now that Peter is an old man, he's writing to a church, to to people who are good friends of his, brothers and sisters in Christ. And he knows that for them, difficulties are coming. Your future is not going to get easier. It's going to get harder. Some of them are going to get thrown into jail because of their faith. Some of them are going to be set on fire, burned at the stake because they believe in Jesus. Some, some of them are going to have wild animals sicked upon them. They're going to be fed to the lions all because of their faith in Jesus. Like when I read this book, First Peter, I can't help but think about that. That some of the very first people that read this letter died. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you. Not only if they're kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course, (laughs) you get no credit for being patient if you're beaten for doing wrong. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it patiently, God's pleased with you. Yeah, yeah, this is specifically targeted to slaves. And I literally spent a couple of hours this week researching slavery and reading about slavery and figuring out what I was going to say to you about slavery. None of it seemed to fit. Because this, this really is not a passage about slavery. This is a passage about unjust suffering. And and slaves in Peter's day, they faced this regularly. The rest of us, sporadically. It's God's word for you. For you who are gathered here this morning and for you who are watching online. This is what God wants to say to you about your current situation. About whatever it is that you are going through right now. Whatever unjust and unfair suffering you think that you are facing right now. God's word and God has something to say to you. When another person is causing us trouble and it's not fair. What is God's expectation of us? This short passage suggests three answers. First of all, there's the order. Submit, even if they are cruel. Peter's direction in verse 18 here, I don't need to spend a lot of time on that, right? God's expectation 
needs no explanation. We submit to those who are harsh, not just to those who are reasonable. The Greek word here is scoliosis. That's where we get our English word scoliosis from. The twisting and curvature of the spine. Think about that. Some people, some leaders, some people who are in charge over us, whatever that might look like, someone who has authority over us, some of them are so morally twisted and so spiritually bankrupt that they intentionally brutalize people around them. Their cruelty twists our spines. And God knows that. Doesn't surprise him. He is aware of it. And yet, even in these cases, God's word says, Submit. Oh, we hate that word. That's his command to us Submit. Now, here's the promise the oath that God gives, the vow that he makes to us. It says, God is pleased. First part of verse 19 literally says, for this is grace, charis in the Greek. And in case you missed it in verse 19, it repeats itself again in verse 20. Charis para theo, grace towards God. Just savor that for a moment. Grace towards God. Roll it around in your brain. Taste it in your spirit. Because the command might taste bitter, but the promise is ever so sweet. Do you want to please God? Do you want God to think highly of you? Do you want to win God's approval? Do you want God the Father to sit back in his easy chair and say, that's my girl? Do you want God to tossle your hair and pat you on the back and say, that's my boy? Do you want to have him pleased with you? When you patiently endure unjust suffering, it is a grace towards God. This is his promise and his oath. It's not just that your endurance is commendable although it is. It's not just that other people can see you and they're all going, wow, that person is really exceptional and some of them do. It's not just a lesson that you're going to learn as you go through difficulty even though that happens sometimes. It is not even a chance to suffer in the same way that Jesus does although that is a blessing and a privilege that he gives to a very chosen few. It's more than that. It is all of that and more. Your suffering is a grace that you give to God. When you are threatened and you refuse to compromise your faith, you're giving a grace towards God. When you're suffering for what you believe in and you don't complain about it, you're giving a grace towards God. When you're passed over and you refuse to grow bitter about it and you become an even harder worker, you are giving a grace towards God. When your marriage ends and your ex says the worst things about you and you choose not to sling mud back, you are giving a grace towards God. 
when you endure harsh treatment and you still manage to praise Jesus, when the caged bird sings, you are giving a grace towards God. When you are falsely accused and people say mean things about you that aren't true and you don't reply back, you are giving a grace towards God. When you are ripped off and you suffer financial loss and you can still forgive that person, you are giving a grace toward God. When you lose the game but you don't lose your temper and you still shake hands with that guy who beat you up in the corner, you are giving a grace towards God. When you put on a face mask for the sake of COVID, for the sake of other people, you are giving a grace towards God. When the government is unreasonable and unjust in their directives, yet you comply with it, you are giving a grace towards God. When you face whatever difficulty it is that you are facing and you do so with dignity and strength, you are giving a grace towards God. When you choose to love through tears, those who may never return that love back, you are giving a grace towards God. Perhaps your rebellious heart still hates this. Maybe you're still going, ah, this is just awful. Resisting this truth. I, I don't blame you. This is not an easy pill to swallow. It goes against every fiber of our being, every part of us that resists and rebels at unjust treatment. In fact, it doesn't make any sense at all, none whatsoever, unless you understand and grasp the next point that I'm going to make. The purpose conscious of his will. You see, nothing that I've said up until this point, 25 minutes into my sermon, nothing that I've preached on will make any sense to you without this idea. You have to get this in order to understand fully what God is saying to you in this passage right here and right now. How do you graciously submit to unfair treatment? How do you patiently endure suffering? How do you find that, that compliant attitude towards ridiculous COVID regulations? How do you continue to praise Jesus when you or someone you love is suffering unjustly? You patiently endure because you are conscious of God. This is the reason. This is the purpose. This is the objective. So let's just take a moment and, and really put some rubber on the road as far as this idea goes. I am where I am right now by God's appointment. If God wanted me to be somewhere else, I would be somewhere else. When God wants me to be somewhere else, I will be somewhere else. Because I know that God is good, it must be for my good to be where I am right now. 
The fact that I cannot see any good in my present situation does not mean that it isn't there. It just means that I can't see it. But I don't have to understand the big picture in order to know that there is a big picture. God's promises cover the details of my life even when those details seem random and out of control. God sometimes allows things to happen to me that seem unfair and even harsh. I will not understand those things while I am going through them. The one thing that I can do is to endure them patiently because I believe that God is right here with me every moment of every day. I am conscious of God and that is why I endure. See, when you lose that awareness of God, when you, when you lose that perspective of who, who he is and what he's doing in your situation, when you forget that he is sovereign and in control, there's a couple of awful things that actually start to happen in your character and in your life when you start to lose that perspective. Number one, you start to give in to the despair. I've done that. Number two, you start blaming other people for your circumstances. It's all so-and-so's fault. I've done that. Number three, you harbor bitterness and sometimes even bitterness towards God. Your heart starts to grow hard. I've been there. Number four, you act hastily without thought and without grace. I've done that. Number five, you want revenge at any price. I've been there. Oh my goodness, Nick, (laughs) stop preaching to yourself. (laughs) People are watching. Your wife at home is going to ask you if you even listen to your own sermon. Your idealistic teenage son is going to be looking at you going, um, dad. (laughs) Some of you are choosing the path of grace and faith and trust right now in the middle of a really difficult situation. I don't necessarily know what you're going through. In the aftermath of of the pain that you've been facing, the losses that you've sustained, or the hurt that you're going through, or the uncertainty that you're facing, you have set your sights on Jesus, and you're allowing him to direct your path. And this is so good, and I'm so proud of you, and I want to commend you if that's what you're doing. You're on the right track. Here's what God is starting to do in your life as you do that, whether you know it or not. Here's how God is working in your obedience. Number one, you are breaking a cycle of sin. You're breaking that. Like some of you have, have a whole family history. You're breaking generational curses by your obedience to God. Number two, you're setting your own spirit free. Like you can change, chain up my body. You can never imprison my spirit. You're setting your spirit free by choosing that trust. Number three, you're demonstrating the power of Jesus. It's only the power of Jesus that allows us to forgive. Number four, you're putting your confidence in eternal truths 
rather than temporary lies. We are inundated with temporary lies. Sometimes even in the church, well-intentioned preachers give us temporary lies. And you're saying, nope, I'm going to focus on eternal truths. Number five, you're baffling unbelievers and you are impressing other believers. I like that. I love the idea that there are people out there that are looking at my behavior and going, what? How's, how's, how's he acting so, so well in that? I love that idea. And then number six, you are, you're giving a grace towards, I, I just love that idea. Charis paratheo. When I, when I endure, it's a gift that I give to God. See, your suffering, it's not primarily about you. It's about God. And when you start to learn that truth, it transforms your entire life. It pleases God when aware of him, you patiently endure Unjust suffering. First Peter 2, verse 19. At the end of all the days, at the culmination of time, as billions of people gather on that great plain before the throne of God, some are cowering in fear of his might and his majesty, but others are standing there and they are belligerent, angry, and defiant. How can God judge us? How can a God who lives in a perfect heaven know anything about our hardship? One woman rips open her sleeve, revealing a number that was tattooed on her in a Nazi death camp. I endured torture, starvation, beatings, all because I was a Jew, she said. How can God relate to that? Another man lowers his collar to reveal scars around his neck. What about this, he angrily asked. I was lynched for no other crime other than being black. And some of the people who did this went to church the very next Sunday. What does God know about my suffering? Another person in a wheelchair said, I was in a wheelchair suffering and dying of ALS. What does God know about Lou Gehrig's disease? Another woman says, I lost so many babies trying to get pregnant. I finally just gave up. What does God know about that kind of pain? My family was killed by a drunk driver. How can God relate to that? How, why did God allow that to happen? Far across this great plain, there are thousands of stories. Each person has a complaint against God for the evil that, that they have suffered and that they've endured, that God has allowed in their world. How lucky was God to live in heaven where all is sweetness and light, where there's no weeping, no fear, no heartache, no sorrow. What does God know about what people in this world have to endure on a daily basis? How can he pretend to be just in his judgment? God leads a pretty sheltered life, they agree. And so as each group starts to coalesce around their specific pain, they begin choosing leaders from among them. Those who have suffered most deeply, been forced to endure the greatest torment, a concentration camp survivor, a slave who was beaten to death, a Dalit from India, untouchable, a nuclear blast survivor from Hiroshima, a prisoner from a Soviet gulag, a horribly deformed arthritic person, a thalidomide baby missing all his limbs. One by one, they all step forward and they begin to consult with one another. 
And at last, they're ready to present their case. And it's a simple request, really. In order for God to qualify to judge them, God has to go through what they've gone through. Their verdict is that God be sentenced to live on earth as a human being with none of the advantages and none of the privileges of being God. Let him be born to a despised people group. (laughs) They began. Let him be born as a bastard child to an unwed mother. Let him face that in his life. Let him grow up in absolute poverty even though all around him he can see incredible riches by those who are in control. Let him be on the run for his life. Let him be persecuted and pursued unjustly. Let him take up a cause that is just, but is so radical that it is vilified and attacked by everyone else. Let the establishment hate him, both political and religious. Let all of them despise him. Let him try to describe heaven, something that no one has seen or heard or felt. Let him try to explain the kingdom of God to people who refuse to listen. <laughs> As each person who has suffered speaks, the crowd murmurs their approval. God lives a pretty sheltered life. Let him taste what we've been through before he presumes to judge us. Let him suffer horribly at the end of his life, they continue. Let him die feeling all alone in the world. Let him be betrayed by his closest friends. Let him be arrested and found guilty on false charges by men who look him in the eye while they are lying under oath about him. Let him be convicted by a coward who is an authority who knows he is innocent, yet refuses to defend him. Let him face pain and torture. Let him be whipped and beaten. Let him face excruciating agony right in front of his own mother, who can do nothing to intervene. And then let him die alone. The most humiliating death imaginable, on display for everyone to see, mocked by those who hate him, abandoned by those who love him. Let him die. And as he dies, let him die in the company of thieves and murderers. As the people finish their judgment, there's palpable silence all across the plain, millions of people there, yet not one person utters a word. No one moves because a realization has settled upon them, a truth that stands starkly taller than all their judgmental words. They realize that God has already served that sentence. God loves you so much. He didn't just send angels to help you in your time of trouble. God comes to you in your pain, in your loss, in your suffering. God himself comes in person, in Jesus. The word become flesh living amongst us. Not simply once thousands of years ago, as amazing and incredible as the incarnation of Jesus was back then. No, Jesus stands beside you in your present situation, right here, right now, in what you are facing today. And yes, yes, he could take it all away in a heartbeat if he chose to. And and yes, he could actually make it a whole lot worse 
if he chose to. He could make him more miserable. And you know what? You can play that what if game until you literally go insane. Or you can hang on to this truth. Cling to it. It pleases God. When aware of him, you patiently endure unjust suffering. I have an impossible task. I can't humanly explain this to you. There are so many things in this life that we simply do not know. So many mysteries that are simply beyond us. And we are left sometimes tiny, finite beings trying to grasp the inscrutable. We ponder the questions that remain unanswered. And all I can say to you is this. At the end of the day, you either trust him or you don't. I mean, I can point to my own experience and I can tell you that I've found that faith is far better than despair. But you have to figure that out for yourself. The Spirit of God has to bring that truth home to you. You have to reach that point in your own journey with Jesus where you can say, it pleases my God when in my awareness of him I patiently endure unjust suffering. Last Sunday was just too encouraging, so we decided to follow it up with this Sunday. (laughs) Last Sunday, we baptized somebody and celebrated a resurrection, brand new life. And this Sunday feels like a funeral, doesn't it? Oh my goodness. You know what's neat about uh, the story of Lazarus? See, in youth group, we're going to be doing Lazarus in our Bible study next week. It's that because of the three days of pain, that that miracle becomes that much more amazing. Like if Jesus would have brought him back to the dead minutes after he would have passed away, the miracle would have been so much smaller. But for three days, they endured this incredible suffering and pain. And on the fourth day when he rose back up, it was the most amazing miracle they'd ever seen. It confirmed he was the Messiah. It was this incredible identifying miracle because of the pain they went through. Like we, want, we all want to have the baptisms and we all want to have the resurrection Sundays. None of us want to go through the three days of pain to get there. All right, let's close the service. We want to go home for lunch. Listen to this. This is Paul writing in 2 Corinthians now. He says to the church, as they're suffering, he says, to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations I've had, A thorn was given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with Yahweh about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, 
my grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul is praying for the pain to go away. And God says, no. Why? Because you don't see how powerful he is until you are weak and need his power. Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Jesus, then, I am content. I'm content in my weaknesses. I'm content in insults. I'm content in hardships. I'm content in persecution, unjust suffering. I am content in calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God needs us, needs us to endure suffering that is not fair. And in our weakness, the Holy Spirit can show his power. Father, I feel conflicted, but my prayer for the church is this, that you would walk them through a moment of revealing by the power of your Holy Spirit to see that the unjust suffering that they experience, the hardships and the persecution should be pointing their eyes at you. Lord, give us the attitude of Jesus, willing to suffer unjustly to bring you glory. Give us the attitude that Paul had as he imitated Jesus, willing to look at all of his weaknesses and say, what is God going to show me? What amount of power is God going to display in my weakness today? Lord, in my weaknesses, would you be powerful by your spirit? And Lord, somehow in all of these uh, rules and changes and small church services that we have, in this pain that we feel emotionally or physically, Lord, would you show your power? Would our church pray to you in ways that they've never prayed? Would they rely on you and humble themselves in ways they've never humbled themselves? And then would your Holy Spirit move? Lord Jesus, draw us to the cross. Would our pain bring us low so that we can look up to see your power? Lord Jesus, thank you for the resurrections that are taking place around us. Thank you for Jana who's celebrating her baptism and brand new life. Would the pain and the hardships that she will face draw her closer to you? Would the suffering that we face draw us closer to you? And as our hearts are drawn to you, would it bring you glory? This is our cry, Lord Jesus. Hear our prayer. We love you. Be powerful in us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.